Welcome to the Frontline Defenders Rights on the Line first podcast for 2021. My name is Aisha Hamdulay and in this episode we'll be unpacking some of the very interesting insights from our Global Analysis 2020 report which was published in February. You can access the report on our website at www.frontlinedefenders.org. In this episode, we'll be chatting to Frontline Defenders Head of Protection, Ed O'Donovan, as well as an HRD from Zambia and Bistang Sara Dektikan from the Philippines. COVID-19 has made the past year quite challenging for human rights defenders all around the world. HRDs have faced a multitude of challenges due to the restraints brought on by COVID-19. In this episode, we will focus specifically on the digital challenges faced by HRDs during the pandemic, as well as the impact of lockdown on HRDs around the world. Our global analysis showed that 331 HRDs were killed in 2020. 287 were men and 44 were women. 69% of HRDs who were killed were working on land and environmental rights. 28% of women killed worked specifically on women's rights. And 74% of killings occurred in Central America, with 53% occurring globally in Colombia. Before we chat to our guests, we'll go through a quick summary of the themes which emerged from our Global Analysis 2020. We found that there was an increase in digital challenges and digital insecurity, including a lack of access to digital resources, online targeting and hacking of HRDs, and more. Marginalized communities and women HRDs, especially those working on the front lines and providing support to the most oppressed and vulnerable groups, which include ethnic minorities, homeless people, sex workers, LGBTIQ people, and refugees and migrants were exposed to stigmatization and physical attack. In fact, in the Balkans, refugees and migrants were called super spreaders of the virus and were presented as dangerous to be around. Women human rights defenders were at a higher risk of facing gender-based violence. However, despite COVID-19, we still saw social mobilization and protest prevail One of the major movements being Black Lives Matter, which was triggered by the death of George Floyd. However, authorities used lockdown regulations to crack down hard on protesters and HRDs. We will now chat to Ed O'Donovan, who is the Head of Protection at Frontline Defenders, who will shed some light on these challenges faced during the pandemic. Ed has also worked extensively on the Global Analysis Report. Welcome, Ed. It's great to have you featured on the Rights on the Line podcast. Sure. Um, thanks, Aisha. As you mentioned, I am head of protection with Frontline Defenders, um, which involves overseeing the coordination and management of our field-based protection coordinators, um, those colleagues who are based in every region in the world whose role is to outreach and support human rights defenders at risk in those areas. Um, I was also the lead on our global analysis, which which we published last week. Thanks, Ed. Do you think you can share with us some of the major challenges faced by HRDs during 2020, specifically relating to COVID-19, digital challenges and the impact of lockdown on HRDs? 
Yeah, yeah, will do. Um, I mean, it's a bit of a truism to say that HRDs, like the rest of us, were were forced in in many cases to take their work online. Um, and I suppose before going into the the challenges in digital security, it's important to note that these circumstances highlighted more than ever the digital divide between those who have access to equipment and a stable internet connection and those who don't. And this latter group were hit particularly hard by their by their inability to travel. For those who could go online, um, many challenges were presented. For some, digital security had often been the last element of their protection strategy that they had time or willingness to invest in. So when a situation like this arises, um, they're immediately more vulnerable to government surveillance, hacking attacks and general scamming. Um, so defenders needed to upskill quite quickly. Um, but they did in, in, in many cases that we saw. And by the middle of the year, Frontline did notice a marked increase in the number of defenders who were considering more seriously their digital security and their relationship with, with tech companies. Um, Frontline defenders responded by providing dozens of one-to-one consultations and, and webinars on secure management of information and communication. And we also put out a couple of guides early on in a number of languages um, to help HRDs make this change and to figure out what basic steps they should be taking and what tools they, they should be using and what tools they should be avoiding. Ed, could you give us some examples of how these challenges played out on the ground? Um, what were some of the cases that have come up in terms of hacking, surveillance, smear campaigns, and just digital security in general? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think starting off, one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest practical challenges was that there was a lack of capacity amongst organizations like our own working on digital security to respond to the huge increase in demand, for instance, for VPNs and for secure conferencing tools. Um, I mean, as as most people be well aware, Zoom became extremely popular um, and we heard countless stories of Zoom meetings being hijacked um, and, and infiltrated. And this seemed to particularly target um, black women, uh, feminists, LGBTI defenders, and um, those working on these types of issues who in general get much more exposed to online violence and attacks of, even in normal times, shall we say. But during last year, it's particularly noticeable that they were the type of groups of defenders who were also being targeted by, by these Zoom bombing attacks. Um, so there was a, there was a huge need um, to, to raise awareness, um, to respond to requests for support. Um, and this situation improved as more resources became available after that. Um, and one of the biggest challenges, I suppose, also was to change online behavior which had become so uh, regularized over the previous decade um, where defenders can sometimes be fairly flippant with their with their security. But to to get them to start doing relatively simple things like having stronger passwords, using two factor authentication, being more cautious about what information they're divulging online. Um, that was a bit of an effort, but we did see results from it in terms of I suppose, practical or specific challenges. I think one of the the biggest trends was something not particularly related to COVID, but something which we've been seeing growing year on year for the last number of years, and that's of the, the internet shutdown. 
Um, and again, last year, um, we saw it occur in Myanmar, India, Iraq, Sudan, Burundi, Togo, Tanzania. That's just a few of the countries that occurred in, often occurred in the context of elections or protests. Um, so in the run-up to contested elections or in the immediate aftermath of elections or where large-scale protest movements had, had started. And that was the case in, in the countries I've, I've just named. Um, and there is a huge impact on defenders when internet shutdowns occur. Um, obviously, they're suddenly robbed of their ability to, to organise, but also in terms of documenting human rights violations, getting the word out, arranging medical and legal support, all of these things which um, defenders tend to do when countries go through these the, these, shall we say, crisis periods um, where peaceful protests are, are met by by a large amount of violence. And I suppose that my, my last point on that is it's been interesting to watch how protest movements have evolved over the last couple of years. I think quite a lot of inspiration have been taken from the tactics used in Hong Kong in 2018 and 2019, the kind of learning from the, the Bruce Lee be like water tactics, where protests have tended to evolve organically, anonymously, and often quite suddenly online. Um, and it was very successful um, in evading the massive Chinese state apparatus in, in Hong Kong. And the Chinese authorities were actually f forced to introduce an extremely draconian national security law to put an end to those protests. But a lot of other movements and human rights defenders have drawn inspiration from that. But the I suppose the flip side of that is when the internet is shut down because of the way these 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 movements have evolved not many of the organizers or the defenders actually know each other offline so when they're robbed of their tools to communicate it really does um take the momentum out of um some of those movements anyway so it's um yeah and it can be very difficult to sustain momentum so what I'm hearing is that the digital divide is something that has been developing way before COVID-19 and lockdown, and that this is actually changing the human rights landscape. And in relation to this, you mentioned the use of draconian laws and lockdown regulations to crack down on HRDs. Can you tell us a bit more about this? Yeah, um, I mean, there was the... the, the shrinking civil society space has been clearly a, a very significant trend over the past 10 years um, and last year was no exception i think last year there was the added um raft of covid specific legislation which was brought in to further restrict civil society space um, and in some cases this was this was warranted on public health guidelines in many cases it wasn't and in many cases there were no sunset clauses in that restriction. So there was no expiry dates, basically. Uh, and the fear is that some of the, those new regulations are going to remain in place even when this crisis pass, passes. Um, but added to that, as I mentioned, there were the just the non-COVID laws which were introduced last year. And they they just consolidate this extremely worrying trend where countries are copying each other in, in introducing laws. So for instance, Nicaragua last year introduced a foreign agents law and this was modeled on the Russian foreign agent law, which was introduced over, well, a decade ago now. And we have seen it replicated in a number of countries since. Um, and one of the concerns that we would have is that this new draconian law 
that the Chinese introduced, which I mentioned um, for Hong Kong, um, will also be replicated in, in other countries. And one of the most worrying aspects of this law is that it contains provisions around extraterritoriality. So it criminalizes human rights activism in third countries if it's directed, for instance, at Hong Kong. So as an example, I, I, I mentioned in the report that um, Hong Kong human rights defenders here in Ireland um, informed us that they had stopped their protests and their activism around um, democracy in Hong Kong in Dublin because they were concerned about being charged under this new law and being potentially extradited if China was to put in an extradition request. Now, Ireland, along with a number of other countries, has since paused the extradition agreement with Hong Kong, specifically as a result of this law. Um, but there is that, I suppose, um, overarching concern that it will be picked up by um, by other countries. More, more generally, I think the... The restrictions also had a big impact on the security strategies used by used by human rights defenders. Um, and this was particularly true for the most at risk defenders. So those who were uh, more, more likely to be to be physically attacked and 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 killed, unfortunately, um, oftentimes their security strategies would depend on frequent relocation, moving around um, on a very regular basis. Um, yet once the restrictions were introduced, it became much more difficult to do that. And if they decided to do that, they were they were potentially subjecting themselves to criminalization or fines um, or additional risk in contracting um, COVID. Yet a common refrain we heard from defenders in South America or in the Americas generally last year was that perpetrators don't don't self-isolate and this I think speaks to the fact that a number of human rights defenders especially in Colombia were killed during periods of lockdown where they were where they didn't have the recourse to to this I suppose more usual security strategy of, of frequent relocation that they would have relied on in the past. Let's pick up on that last point that you made um, about the killings in Colombia. We know that the global analysis has showed that more than 50% of HRDs who were killed in 2020 were from Colombia. Is there anything that you'd like to unpack about the statistic a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, it's a very, it's a very stark and startling statistic. Um, I think we say that 53% um, of the defenders killed um, were, were in Colombia. Um, and many of those were working, or the vast majority of those were working on land, environmental and indigenous people's rights. Um, why this is happening, and I mean, I suppose to highlight how how high the numbers are, the next closest country um, was, I think, was in the low 20s. So it's a massive jump from kind of the low 20s to, um, I think it was 170 plus um, who were killed in Colombia. And so why this is happening is is obviously a crucial question. Part of it is down to the failure of the government to implement the peace accords, um, which came about after the the ceasefire or the, I suppose, the end of the armed campaign of FARC in 2016. Um, and as FARC demobilized, uh, large, large areas in Colombia um, were not uh, as uh, the state 
does not still doesn't have a presence in large areas in in Colombia and are essentially some of those areas are left at the mercy of armed groups uh, and criminal organizations which have flourished um since FARC have have demobilized and when defenders in those territories are either highlighting human rights violations um, as a result of criminal activity or trying to encourage um, their communities to take part in a crop substitution program. So instead of growing coca, um, tr- changing to, to other crops, um, these armed groups and criminal organizations um, are, are, simply, are simply killing them in, in an effort to reduce the number of people willing to stand up to them and to highlight the, the practices which they're engaged in. So that's certainly one element of it. Another element is that, unfortunately, the government has, has not really proven um, able and some would say willing to provide the necessary protection to, to defenders. Um, there, there were at least a couple of cases last year where um, defenders who were receiving protection um, from the National Protection Unit in Colombia had their measures withdrawn, um, partially as a result of the, the COVID and the response to the pandemic. Um, but I suppose on a wider scale or a broader scale, it's, it's to do with, with policy and the implementation of the, of the peace accords and the fact that not enough political will has been has been invested in in trying to change the fundamental situation around the killing of defenders um in Colombia and it's something that frontline defenders is going to be focusing on um this year. We will now hear from an HRD in Colombia sharing first-hand experiences and insight into the killings, why they may be happening and what the situation is like for HRDs on the ground. With the signing of the peace agreement in Colombia, we have hopes that armed conflict and the violence in scenario will change, but unfortunately, it did not turn this way. After 2016, we have seen violence increasing, and especially the aggressions against human rights defenders. It is important to clarify this happened due to the breach in the lack of implementation of measures signed in the agreement. Uh, through history, in many places in Colombia, and particularly in rural areas, there is a lack of the state presence. There is poverty and inequality. And this did continue even with the demobilization of FARC, which has led to the condition where many airmed groups and drug traffickers have fought for the, for the social and territorial control. That is why in the last four years, we have seen a significant rise of violence and an important strengthening of the armed groups. Human rights defenders have been the ones left in the middle of this situation. They are the ones who speak out for the human rights violation in their territories, and for this reason, they have been silenced. According to our numbers, since the signing of the peace process until September 2020, 530 human rights defenders uh, have been murdered. COVID-19 has increased the risk for the human rights defenders in Colombia, and there are different concerns around this situation. One is the absence of the state in rural territories, which led to deepen the inequality in communities who are facing a difficult health situation with a lack of resources. Many of these places have presence of 
and legal army groups who exert total control over the civil population and who decide the control measures of the pandemic through threatens and fear. Uh, suddenly, human rights defenders have to, face, uh, have to face the situation where they are forced to stay at home, being easy to find for army groups, um, and also the attention of the public opinion and the government was focused uh, exclusively in the pandemic. Uh, this generates a, a scenario for increasing of murders, and in fact, during 2020, most of these murders took place in the defender's house or nearby. We also count the strengthening of the illegal army groups in the most of the regions in the country. Unfortunately, we have just finished the year with the highest number of murders of human rights defenders in the history of the country. And in 2021, we are facing a similar tendency. Violence and particularly the murders don't stop. Even when this situation, the state uh, doesn't take enough action to guarantee the life of the defenders. We now welcome our next guest, a human rights defender from Zambia who will go by the pseudonym of Clark. Clark works in the human rights space in Zambia, one of his areas of work being providing support to HRDs that are targeted and threatened. He will tell us more about the realities on the ground for HRDs during COVID-19, especially in terms of digital security. Welcome Clark and we are pleased to have you here with us. How did COVID-19 affect the work of HRDs in your country and region? Yeah, uh, thank, thank you so much, and uh, Aisha, to start with. I appreciate for the fact that uh, Frontline Defenders have given an opportunity to Zambia to also be heard on uh, such a big platform where we give an insight of what, is, what has been happening in Zambia. The first wave, I think, had a very big impact on the economic part of the country because at the time that uh, the world announced the COVID-19 and different countries started taking some measures on the COVID-19, Zambia, like other countries, also uh, followed suit. Even when we had very few cases, they put measures which were so restrictive in terms of economic, uh, uh, economic, uh, economic uh, 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 gains. They put measures such as, although we didn't have a lockdown, but we had what would call partial lockdowns in some towns. They would lock the town for a bit, but we had a lot of restrictions. And actually, they, uh, they even called that uh, um, it was more, when it started, it was semi, um, the restrictions which were announced were more of like same state of images where the powers were given to the police and also the government had so much powers that they could not allow people to meet, they could not allow people to do anything. If you are found on the road, so many things would happen. And that is where now work became so difficult for human rights defenders because of a number of restrictions where you would find ministers asked to say, what law are you using for you to be beating people? Because people are being beaten, people are being arrested. 
and for me at that time government used that opportunity to try and target those that they were targeting if for example they are holding meetings if you are arriving home late for example they will follow you and find you say no you are moving in the night we are told that people should not be moving around people should not be drinking people should not be doing all those all those things and people were arrested people were tortured people were beaten and um, a minister of government for example was in the forefront doing that and when he was asked what law he was using said i'm a law unto myself because i'm a government i'm a government minister so that is how far it was and they used that opportunity to restrict the uh, the freedoms of uh, assembly for the defenders the freedoms of association the freedoms of for example speaking against anything wrong that government is doing and it was at the same time when there was a lot of talk about it, the government having been mis- because government received a lot of donations locally and also uh, um, donations from outside a lot of businesses came on board to try and donate to the ministry of health but at the same time there was a lot of abuse of the covid resources which was observed by the citizen and at that time whenever the because it means the the resources or the, the the things that were being raised to be given to the communities were taken away from them because they were being abused by for example the people who were in charge of those resources and when the people who work in the areas of human rights defending say no these people have the right to get these things were to speak about against government doing that all that became a problem and they were shut down they were told to shut and threatened to be arrested for speaking against government so a lot of stuff happened in different angles in the beginning of the covid-19 but as we speak now the second wave came with a different dimension the dimension that it came with it hit the country uh, hard and in reality it means that the government now saw the reality and the response was supposed to go now towards the real cases of covid which were happening because people were dying in numbers and people were going in hospitals in numbers but again yeah, the challenge which uh, came as a, as a result of the second wave was people accessing the facility they there has been a lot of people for example people if you have uh, uh, symptoms of covid-19 and you want to be tested there has been a lot of different charges that are given by different private hospitals if you go to a government hospital provided that they didn't pick you themselves they will tell you that no we are not testing you go to a private hospital and you see that there is some sort of maybe collusion between the government and the private or or some sort where a lot of things are happening and again you can't speak against that because if you do it is easy for you to to be uh, targeted to be harassed and followed for speaking against what is happening on the ground yes people are speaking against what is happening but you find that they are not freely speaking so the work of a human rights defender is to speak against the eus that are happening to defend the rights of the people on the ground but having taken away the platform through which they have been speaking through there has been a lot of challenges during the covid-19 uh, uh, situation so with lockdown regulations there would have been a shift towards using online platforms more making use of social media and digital spaces so 
was there a crackdown on these spaces in Zambia as well? And what type of online harassment did HLDs face, especially those speaking out against the government online? Yeah, uh, because of the situation, definitely there's been a shift to everything. Like, we are not only talking about communication to the powers that be, even communication to, 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 to our targets, communication amongst the human rights defenders now. The way they... They didn't close the, the online platform uh, specifically, but there was increase in terms of um, um, uh, cyberbullying from, from, for example, uh, political cadres, and there was an increase in terms of hacking of uh, communication for defenders in a way that you could not understand. I would give you an example. For, uh, for example, in my own case, I do not know what uh, happened to my to my Yahoo email which I was using. Uh, from nowhere, people started receiving messages that I did not send. From nowhere, I started receiving people like had gone in my uh, my inbox. From nowhere, I realized that there was a lot of communication that was happening which was not meant for me, and a lot of things, security things, started happening around around me where I was broken into, and a number of things happened around me. It all started from looking at what I was communicating. And without, for example, saying anything or taking anything away, my suspicion became because it was at a time that I was communicating with frontline. When the first thing happened, I was communicating with frontline defenders on a case of a human rights defender who was at risk. The human rights defender who was hiding from place to place and he was seeking for support from frontline. So I had direct communication with him because I would discuss with frontline defender, I would discuss with him, and he was trying to push for that. At that time, my communication was via email to him or by, by phone. I would not reach him by phone, and my emails uh, were hacked. I didn't know that I was hacked until I was notified. My frontline defender said, there's something that is happening to your email. And that is when I tried to follow my emails and noticed that a number of things had happened within my email, within my space. And even my, my, my phone were being recorded without me knowing that whatever I'm discussing is being recorded. That's quite terrible to hear. Wow. Um, how have you and how have others responded um, to the situation in terms of government targeting and cracking down on HRDs? Uh, a, a number of people, the only thing that we could do is to complain about what is happening, uh, but also try to find other means again of uh, avoiding that. Because even when such things are happening, they will not openly tell you that we are doing this. Even if you complain, they'll say no. But where is the evidence that this is happening to you? Who told you that this is how it is happening? It means that is what you do. So either way, they will turn the case against you. So you, you keep quiet. And the only thing that we have to do as, as human rights defenders is either to move to more secure platforms of communication or agree to be meeting, observing those uh, regulations which they are talking about, but agree to be meeting analog as, uh, as defenders as you, whenever you are, doing, you are doing your work. That is the, the, the first thing. Then the second thing that uh, human rights defenders, for example, have done is to try and now start pushing for an opportunity to have their own law which will protect them. So in Zambia currently, through the Zambia Human Rights Defenders Network, we are pushing for a, a law that will protect human rights defenders. Uh, even if they are arrested, there should be a law, because there is no legal framework to protect human rights defenders in Zambia. There are only general, general laws through which they stand on. 
So that is uh, one thing that we have started doing. But at the same time, when this is happening, government has also now pushed in the cyber the cyber law. So now what we are doing now is to study and see the content of that cyber law. Yes, it is there to protect the cyber uh, bullying, which, which happens uh, online, but we also know that it will be used against targeting uh, uh, people who, for example, we have stopped meeting and we are meeting uh, online. They will say, no, this what you are discussing has this influence and it is becoming worse as we head towards the 2021 general elections. So the law is possibly being used in a way to crack down as well on human rights defenders, but being posed as a good thing. Exactly. Uh, what, what what used to happen actually during the, that time was, I think they were trying to threaten the human rights defenders not to, because there was no case that they would to, uh, arrest them on and detain them on for a long time. Because that is the reason why the minister would say, I'm the law unto myself, when he was asked to say, why are you arresting people? So what they would do, they would arrest them today and maybe keep them for a week or two days or one day and then release them. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us, Clark, and um, definitely a situation to watch, especially in terms of the upcoming elections. Um, I certainly hope that um, HRDs in Zambia will be protected during the upcoming election. Thank you so much, Aisha. Uh, maybe last but not the least as we go, I think uh, we are foreseeing in terms of projections um, a possible increase in terms of uh, hacking, in terms of arrest for HRDs, in terms of intimidation and in terms of uh, harassment as we head towards the elections because the elections for 2021 are considered to be a very crucial election. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, they are opening at the time of the COVID pandemic and because of that, we foresee that there will be a lot of uh, such things and we are happy to be in uh, uh, in contact as a network with frontline defenders that will call upon frontline defenders when we are faced with so many challenges. But we'll, this is just an appeal that I think frontline defenders should just open their eyes and ears on Zambia as we head into the elections. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Our next guest is Pestang Saladektekan from the Philippines, where indigenous people make up more than 15% of the population yet to remain marginalized and facing a number of challenges. Pestang will shed light on these challenges faced during 2020 in light of COVID-19. Welcome, Bestang. Yes, hello. I am Bestang. I am uh, an indigenous, I belong to the uh, indigenous peoples here in the Cordillera region in northern Philippines. And I am currently the Secretary General of the Cordillera Peoples Alliance that is composed of mostly indigenous peoples organizations. Welcome, Bestang. Can you tell us a bit more about how the work of HRDs was impacted by COVID-19 in the Philippines? Um, what challenges did HRDs face specifically with regards to lockdown regulations and digital challenges? Yeah, uh, well, particularly in our region, the Cordillera region, but uh, the situation is also similar in various other regions in the Philippines. We have been on lockdown or quarantine since the start of the COVID pandemic in the Philippines that was in March 2020. And it remains until now because the cases of COVID-19 continue to rise day by day. So with that, there is a lot of restrictions on um, 
on travel, on our mobility and physical gatherings here. And for us, indigenous peoples, and especially for indigenous peoples, human rights defenders, whose work is a, a bit uh, mobile, uh, in traveling to communities or going outside communities and holding activities in different places and even at various levels, like from local to regional to national level activities. All of these have become limited at this time of the uh, pandemic. Mm -hmm. So we have to adjust our work methods. We have to find ways to deal with the challenges that this COVID-19 um, is imposing. You know, the, 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 the virus itself and the restrictions mm -hmm. that I have um, mentioned and coupled with the worsening human rights repression in the country. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, the government uh, took advantage of the pandemic to, mm -hmm. to further repress and to intensify its attacks against human rights defenders and especially among indigenous peoples. Okay, can you give us some examples of how the government cracked down on HRDs and how they limited the work of those defending indigenous peoples' rights in the Philippines? Yeah, uh, I just want to also mention that during COVID, um, one of our ways of uh, continuing our work is conducting online activities like mm -hmm. uh, webinars, online meetings, and online monitoring of human rights violations, as well as the economic impacts of the mm -hmm. pandemic to indigenous peoples. But this is very challenging because of the uh, lack of our uh, difficulties in accessing internet, even mm -hmm. phone signal, and mm -hmm. of course gadgets because we live in remote areas mm -hmm. and we belong to the poorer populations. And also there is limited time for discussions, you know, uh, mm -hmm. when it's online because there's a lot of uh, internet uh, interruptions. Mm -hmm. And also some uh, of our members, especially victims of human rights violations, are not very comfortable Mm -hmm. at talking via online platforms because mm -hmm. we know that these online platforms may be easily accessed mm -hmm. by by others yeah. that may be listening yeah. like the military or the police and uh, so uh, on your question it is during this time of the pandemic that we have experienced the worst level of online attacks so far wow. One is that the military and the police and their minions or their uh, trolls have used social media, particularly Facebook, to try to uh, discredit and delegitimize our organization, the Cordillera People's Alliance, mm -hmm. and individual leaders and uh, members of our organization. So this Cordillera People's Alliance is composed of uh, 307 indigenous peoples organizations mm -hmm. in the Cordillera that is uh, working on advancing indigenous people's rights. Um, to, date, to date, there have been thousands already of uh, Facebook posts and comments by the military and police and their online trolls that are red-tagging us or mm -hmm. associating us with the Communist Party of the Philippines and the armed group New People's Army. They are labeling us as terrorists and they're portraying us as uh, evil people. This Communist Party of the Philippines and New People's Army have already been declared by the President or President Duterte as terrorist organizations. 
So just by merely tagging us as uh, leaders mm-hmm. or front organizations, it's just saying that we are terrorists yeah. and that now there is no distinction between the armed groups and um, the legitimate uh, people's organizations. Wow. Um, and this, you know, this red tagging is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Uh, red tagging is dangerous because it is inciting to uh, violence. Yeah. In our experience, the victims of extrajudicial killings and trump up cases or fabricated charges, uh, they have been red tagged prior to the killings and the filing of uh, fabricated charges against them. Wow. And then, yeah, the the systematic and widespread Facebook posts of the military, mm. police, and their trolls have already gathered numerous um, threats to our lives, like saying that we should be killed uh, and various uh, forms of physical harm. And this is from and this is from people this, outside of the police and military. It's affected. It's affected basically how how communities um, view your work. Yes, actually, uh, so some of the comments are from real people. So this just means that the systematic online red tagging uh, by the police and military are unfortunately believed by some people. Mm -hmm. And so if anything happens to us, if any physical harm happens to us, then the military and the police could just easily say Mm -hmm. that it it wasn't, it's not them. It it may be those who have been... um, putting these comments that are yeah. threatening uh, our lives. Yeah. And, um, you know, worse is they have included our families, mm-hmm. even children in this in these online attacks. Yeah. And especially the wife and uh, children of our chairperson, his name is Wendell Bullinget. So now our families are also experiencing the stress and mm-hmm. other psychological impacts of this online uh, red tagging. And how have HRDs responded to these threats and harassment? Um, yes, we have been communicating about this uh, online attack via Facebook through statements and other um, public uh, materials that we have released to our website and uh, through emails and other online uh, platforms. And we have been gathering support from various organizations at the national level and even at the international level. So these are in the forms of uh, statements or letters of concern addressed to the Philippine government mm-hmm. um, saying that uh, these attacks against us should be, um, should be looked into by the Philippine government. So it's a part of uh, pressuring the Philippine government to act mm-hmm. on, our, uh, uh, on these attacks for it to, to stop. Mm-hmm. Among the most attacked via Facebook in our region here in the Philippines is the Cordillera People's Alliance, that is our organization, our chairperson, Wendell Bulinget, and myself being the Secretary General of uh, the Cordillera People's Alliance. In fact, they have even accused us as having a romantic relationship mm-hmm. just to make the public think that we are immoral people. So that is the extent of this political vilification that he, that the military and the police and their trolls have embarked on uh, via Facebook mm-hmm. um, we call it character assassination what mm-hmm. they are what they are trying to do uh, 
via social uh, media, mm-hmm. especially Facebook. But uh, we are targeted because they think that this will eventually cause our organization to fall uh, or to be discredited and delegitimized. The, the problem is the COVID-19 pandemic and governments should be addressing foremost the COVID-19 pandemic before like going against activists attacking mm-hmm. indigenous human rights defenders because we are not terrorists and nobody deserves to be killed, imprisoned, or politically vilified just because we criticize government policies mm-hmm. that violate and impact negatively on indigenous people's rights. Um, all this will not stop us from yeah. defending human rights and indigenous people's rights, but this red tagging, the filing of Trump up cases and threats against us, the harassment, this must stop because uh, it threatens mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and then of course we we call on the public, the indigenous people's advocates and fellow human rights defenders to support us in this most trying time. Um, Support can be in various ways, like just coming out with statements of solidarity. We just want that the world watch on the human rights situation in the Philippines uh, and uh, support us in in our struggle to help uh, ensure the safety and security of indigenous human rights defenders, indigenous peoples and activists in the country. At the moment, um, the most attacked at Cordillera Peoples Alliance, that is our chairperson, the Cordillera Peoples Alliance chairperson, Wendell Bolinget and myself, the Secretary General of uh, the Cordillera Peoples Alliance. We are currently faced with Trump up cases so Wendell is now in detention because of mm-hmm. a murder case that was filed against him by the police and I am also facing a trump up case of uh, libel that was again filed by the police so oh, oh, you know these kinds of um, threats to our safety and security must uh, stop mm-hmm. and we need the support of more people to be able to Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Rights on the Line podcast for future episodes. Music used is by the artist No Mind called Lightness. <laughs>